0: Morning, Hillcrest. I'm Ryan. And that is exactly what she said Ryan, Ryan, I can't see. My vision is gone. And all I see is black. And when my wife Erin told me that last year, she had my complete attention. It had been such a difficult season for us. Just a, just a few months before that, uh, she just a, just a few months before that, numbness and tingling were spreading through her body, and we thought that she might have MS. And just after that, she was diagnosed with an aneurysm in her heart or in her aorta that they said might require open heart surgery in just a few years. And so we cried. And and here we are in a situation where she's seeing lightning flashes in her eye, scary, going to doctors, and they're saying, well, that, that can be a normal part of aging. And so we were going, really, though, for months, saying, what is going on with her vision? And when we finally saw a specialist, after having gone and searching for months, heartbreakingly, he said, if you'd only come sooner. We could, save, could have saved more of your vision. And so we, we cried. And we decided uh, that we really shouldn't have any more children because of the aneurysm, the risk that posed. And in the midst of all of this, we found out that we were pregnant. And the woman who had an unmedicated childbirth and said, this was fun, described to me the most pain she'd ever been in her life from her eye surgery. And that eye surgery was unsuccessful. And so one week later, she had to go through it again. And then just a few months later, she'd have the same problem. Whoops. She had the same problem with the other eye. It was a really hard season in our life. And we've been talking about joy in the midst of suffering. And I know that everybody has their story. And in our, in our story, after that last surgery, she regained some vision, but then it was stolen by a cataract. And, and how do you have joy in the midst of suffering when you don't know? I mean, is this going to be a short season? Is this going to be a long season? Is this going to be something where things will get better? Is this going to be when they're going to get worse? We didn't know. Is she going to die from the aneurysm? Is she going to be blind? Will we be able to homeschool our children? These are the things that we were thinking about. And can I just tell you, friends that I held firm to the promises of 1 Peter, James 1, where it talks about the, the, the testing of your faith, proves its genuineness, that, that you will gain perseverance. And, and in the midst of all of this, I was excited, not just to be on the other side, of course, right? Of course, who wouldn't? But I was excited to see how would God use this? How would God use this in our lives? Because I knew that he would do great things through the suffering. In First Peter One six says, In this you rejoice. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, and David talked about this just a couple weeks ago, how long might a little while be? How long? Maybe. Maybe our time here on earth. Though now for a little while, if necessary, necessary as deemed by who? Not us, right? We don't get to side by God. So in this you rejoice, talking about what just came prior, the salvation, the inheritance that we have. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So somehow we're supposed to be rejoicing in the midst of various trials. And I think the picture is is one like this. Imagine... A captain out at sea. And it is, it is nighttime, and it is in the middle of a storm that comes up. And the wind is howling. The waves are tossing the ship around. There's water everywhere, and he is terrified. Will he make it? He's rightfully afraid. Now how does that change if he has the promise that you're not going to miss the storm, but you will make the harbor. And friends, that's what we have. We, we are gonna go through the storms of life. We may not miss them, but we have an assurance. We will make the harbor. And can I tell you that we hung closely to that? And we've been in 1 Peter, and you can open up your Bibles if you want. 1 Peter is near the end, right? So we have Revelation at the end, and, and Jude and John 3:21, 2, 2 Peter. 1 Peter. So that's where we've been. And uh, 1 Peter is a circular letter, not because it was on round paper, but because it circulated through the churches of Asia. It was written to believers that's really important. It was written to believers who had not met Jesus, who had not seen Jesus. And we know that from verse 8 though you have not seen him you love him. And who else does that also describe? People that love Jesus that have not seen him. That's us. And so there was persecution happening and suffering. And in the five verses of 1 Peter, five chapters rather, how many chapters talk about suffering? Chapter one, chapter two, three, four, five. And you may have been thinking as I, as I read over verse 6 about having joy in the midst of suffering. How, how are we supposed to do that? I understand that we're supposed to do that, but how can I authentically have joy in the midst of suffering? And so t- today, Peter is going to reveal some, he's going to talk about salvation in some really surprising ways. And he's going to reveal some ways to us that can help us have joy in the midst of suffering. And we're going to talk about three things. Specifically, the heritage privilege that we have. Let's look, let's start in, in verse 3 here of First Peter chapter 1. According to his, that's God, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Okay, so we read that. We're going to pause. We're going to get legalistic for a moment, right? I always like to get legalistic. So, so you, you may have heard of a group in the Bible called the Pharisees, Jewish uh, ruling class. They were tended to be very concerned with the letter of the law. Okay? They, you take something like uh, the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 where it says, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. And they say, okay, well, I'm not supposed to work. I'm supposed to rest. So I, they made 39 rules of different types of work, a, a specific distance you could travel in one day where it wouldn't count as work. The rules had rules had rules. And, and you ever wonder why? Why were they like that? They wanted to follow the law. And, and it says in Hebrews 11 that they, people of the Old Testament were justified by faith, but yet if I think of how I would be, could have been back then, if I had, you know, sacrifices that I needed to make and rules that I needed to follow, and, and that, would be, that would give me anxiety, honestly, thinking about, you know, am I I doing all the right things? Have I done the right cleanliness things? That would be enough to give me stress and anxiety. And to me, it's no surprise that they were very concerned with the letter of the law. Now, how does that compare to us? Well, we have the guarantee of our salvation, right? We, we, there's no anxiety about being good enough. What does it say in verse 3? It says we have been born again. We have been reborn into God's family. John 1.12 says to those who did believe in him, those who called on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And as children, we have an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. So, So we don't need to worry. We do not need to have anxiety about whether or not we are being good enough. How does that help us? Have joy in the midst of suffering? Man, well, if I don't need, like in in my weakness, in my suffering, in my temptation, in my persecution, I'm not worried about being good enough. I'm not worried about following every set of rules. That is so freeing. Because if I have to behave exactly a certain way, man, game over. There's no way. But that's not how we are. We live under grace. Wow. What an incredible privilege is our salvation. So that's number one, the heritage privilege that we have. Number two is the historic privilege that we have. So we're going to jump ahead to verse 10. It says this, concerning this salvation... The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ in subsequent glories. Okay, so it leads with the prophets. So those are... um, People that God used often in the Old Testament to deliver messages about judgment, other things. They, they talked about what would come to pass in the future. The prophecies, right? And if you get confused about whether, or you know, are, are we, is David a pastor or a prophet? Um, you can just look at our website and it says clearly we are a 501c3 non-profit organization. So that's how you can remember, that's how you can remember that. And it says that the prophets searched and inquiredly, inquired carefully with the greatest care. And the picture is of soldiers going uh, house to house. They're looking for something and they go in a house and they investigate and they're searching and they go to the next house carefully with greatest care. Why, why would prophets who are used as messengers for God to deliver a message, why would they want to know more about the message that they are delivering? Because it says in verse 12. Verse 12. All right. It doesn't say in verse 12. Verse 12 is, it was revealed to them. Oh, here we go. It was revealed to them they were serving not themselves, but you. Isn't that surprising? They gave prophecies And with those prophecies, they were not serving themselves. They were serving you. Now, you, of course, refers to the people this letter was written to, but that is also us, believers, who love Jesus, though we have not seen him. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So we are the beneficiaries of the prophecies. That's unexpected, I think. It means that we are part of his plan. From thousands of years ago, God had a plan. He gave prophecies to the prophets that were to benefit believers later, us. And as I was talking through with Aaron about this, she reminded me that years ago when we were dating, you know, and, and thinking about her just made me get all mushy inside and my knees wiggle and I was going to go to Central America to live for three months. I couldn't bear it, and so I I wrote a, a bunch of notes and uh, went to a florist and said, "Hey, could you every few weeks deliver these notes with some flowers to Erin?" Because I knew that I knew that in the future I would be gone, and I wanted that to be for her benefit. I wanted to plan ahead. And and those were so meaningful and significant for her. She took pictures of the flowers. She still has the notes, right? How much more special than flowers is this, that God thousands of years ago was thinking about us and had prophecies to help us understand, to give us the complete picture. Luke 10.24 puts it this way. Many prophets and kings... Wanted to hear what you see, what you see, or sorry, wanted to see what you see. But they did not see it. And to hear what you hear. But they did not hear it. You know, we, we might think that seeing is believing, and if only we had lived during that time, we would have greater faith, right? If if, if only I could have been sort of at the feet of Jesus as he was feeding the 5,000. Oh, what that would do to my faith. But in reality, in reality, if we were there, you, you, you probably would not have been at Jesus' feet. You would have probably, I mean, there's 5,000, right? 5,000. We're probably a quarter of a mile away next to a crying baby how much greater privilege do we have through history to be able to read all about the 5,000? Not just that, but we're also there at the Last Supper. We're there at the crucifixion. We hear what he says and teaches to his disciples. We have so much privilege through history. And when we're suffering, when we're you know, going through struggles in life, it can be so easy to just zoom in on our little bubble. And that just consumes us. And we can lose sight of the bigger picture. We can step back and see the privilege that we have through history that helps us see things bigger than us and get through the hard times. Wow. What amazing privilege we have. And the third one, is heavenly privilege. We talked about the heritage privilege, the historic privilege, and now we're talking about heavenly privilege. So let's look at the second part of verse 12. So he says, He preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. I wonder why he mentions angels there. We're not talking about humans who've died and, and gone to heaven and gotten wings, right That's fairy tale. Instead, we're talking about angelic beings that, that God has created, and their role is to worship Him, Their role is to protect and defend, to deliver messages. And they long to look into these things. Have you ever been to a wedding? You go to a wedding, and now imagine with me for a moment that you're, you know, you got there a little late. Maybe you're in my family. Maybe you got there a lot late. And, uh, you know, so the only seat is sort of like farthest from the center of the aisle. You're in the middle of the church. You're farthest from the center of the aisle, but you're still, you feel the excitement in the air. It's Such a special day. And the groom walks down, and the bridal party walks down. the music stops. There's a pause. And then it starts up with the, the procession, right? And then, there she is. There's the bride. What does everybody do? Stand up. They face her. They cream their necks. I just want to get a glimpse. I just want to see her as she walks down the aisle. That's the picture that we have here. Angels in heaven are longing to look into these things. They want to see The gospel of Jesus Christ lived out on earth. Luke 10, uh, sorry, 15.10 says this. Angels in heaven rejoice every time a sinner repents. Just think about our privilege. Angels, angels don't sin and they can't have salvation like we have. They long to look at it but have to experience it from afar and yet we get to see it lived out day after day after day. What an incredible privilege that is. Charles Spurgeon, famous uh, preacher from the 1800s, put it this way. Angels have never sinned. Consequently, they need no atonement or forgiveness. Never having been defiled, they need not be washed. Makes sense. Never having been defiled, they need not be washed. Yet, they take a deep interest in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. What then shall I say of the madness? of those who are defiled by sin but have no interest in the fountain where they can be washed whiter than snow. In the middle of our struggles of life, in the middle of our suffering, there are angels looking down, longing to see our salvation lived out. Wow. What privilege we have. God's people have been waiting so long throughout human history. Waiting for a Messiah. And maybe you've experienced a time of waiting. Or maybe you've been through a difficult season or you're, you're waiting for a loved one to return home. Or you're waiting for an opportunity to get another job. You're waiting a few months ago. We were waiting for my grandma to die after just a long bout with cancer. And waiting can be hard in the big things and in the little things. I'm I, I just going to, true confessions, since I'm among dear friends, I can struggle with that at times. I put coffee in the microwave one minute and 30 seconds. No, I'm sorry, one minute and 28 seconds because when there are two seconds left, I open the door. I cannot wait, even the full, does anybody else open the microwave when there's two seconds left? Just me, okay. Right, waiting can be hard and we're not, we don't just wait in little things or medium things. We are also, in some ways, like the prophets, waiting because we are told in scripture that Jesus is coming back. And oh, just like they searched intently, wanting to know more, man, how we would love to know more, to learn more. And and you know, Jesus comes back riding on a white horse with the heavenly armies behind him. And you can read about that in Revelation 19. It's amazing. Go do it. But oh, I would love to learn more. But friends, whether it's a big thing, whether it's a little thing, whether it's a medium thing, God is in the waiting. We're not just waiting for Jesus to come back or for him to take us home, though we do wait for those things. He is also present with us now in the waiting. And if you're not feeling uh, the, the joy in the midst of that, reflect back on this incredible privilege, the historic, the heritage, the heavenly privilege that we have. Second thing, I wonder do we take this privilege we have for granted? Do we behave like recipients of an incredible gift? I have an unbelievable ability to take things for granted. You know, turn on the TV tons of channels. There's a lot to see on Netflix. Nope. There's nothing good on. Many of us probably have pantries with food, fridges with food. Man, there's nothing to eat. Those things would have seemed like miracles 500 years ago. Miracles! And we're just like, meh, yeah. Eh, eh. Right? We, uh, a couple years ago, I was driving a 1996 Toyota Camry. And then, just a few years ago, we got a new used car. Oh, it was so unbelievable. So unbelievable. Had leather. Had a sunroof. Windows that went down. Heat that worked. And doors that opened. And friends, I was just like, man, this is amazing. Amazing. But it didn't take long. I was like, yeah, it's a nice car. It's fine. It's in the parking lot right now. It's fine. Right? We have, I have, a very large ability to take things for granted. And sometimes we get desensitized to what we have. And we don't think about this incredible privilege that we have. That should just blow us away. Even amongst God's people, we are Privileged. And if, if that's you, if you're feeling sort of numb and mad and I have felt that way at seasons for sure, my encouragement to you this morning would be to draw near to God. I mean, man, when I, when I am practicing spiritual disciplines and doing things like spending time in prayer, when I'm spending time in the Word or meditating or worshiping or fasting, doing things that draw me near to God, what, is, what does James 4, 8 say? It says, draw near to God and He will draw near To you. Those are great things. If you're not wowed by the things that we've talked about, try making spiritual disciplines a regular part of your life. They will bring this to the forefront of your mind. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Because you are not anonymous. You're not insignificant. You are not unloved. You are not forgotten. You have an inheritance. You have a salvation, not just in the future, but right now and from eternity past. God says, I choose you. Verse 1 says, Elect. And you are a child of the king. And as you go through life, struggling, suffering at times, know that, that even now, in your daily decisions, you are, verse 8 says, obtaining the salvation of your souls. And that salvation is secure. Like a ship's captain on a stormy sea who knows who knows he will make the harbor. And friends, we don't, we don't just read that as an encouragement. We don't just read that to know that we are a part of God's plan. Though, please hear both. I also want us to hear the incredible privilege we have in our salvation that God's people of old deeply wanted to know. They searched and inquired carefully like soldiers going house to house. God's angels in heaven, even now, are longing to peer into what is taking place on earth. And when we choose to live life authentically with joy in the midst of suffering when we open both the door of the truth of the gospel and the door of joy with life in Jesus, as we've been talking about, the world takes notice. And that example is a big part of how we help people find life with Jesus, one life at a time. We be that example. We live that out. And so, friends, it is, it is my prayer It is my prayer that we will be so incredibly blown away with the staggering privilege that we have that it will cause us to live life with intense boldness worthy of the grace, the gift, the privilege we have been given. Will you pray with me? God, you are so good. You are so good. Even amongst your people, Lord, you have shown us so much favor, so much privilege, Lord. It blows me away. God, don't let that escape from me. In every moment of life, whether we are waiting, whether we are suffering, whether we are struggling, Lord, you are there. You have chosen us. God, I don't want to take that for granted. I want people to see the way we live our lives in the midst of suffering and say, what is it about them? There is something different. I must know more. God, would that be true of us? Not, not for our glory, not so people can say, oh, look at them, they are such good Christians. Lord, that's the furthest thing. Lord, but so that your name would be glorified, that people would come to know who you are. Lord, our heart aches for that. Pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.